Welcome to the International Teacher Podcast with your host, Matt the Family Guy, Kent the Cat Guy, Jacqueline from JP Mint, and Greg the Single Guy, bringing you episodes from around the world about the best kept secret in education. You've got it, international teaching. Welcome to the show. This is Greg, the single guy coming in with the International Teacher Podcast today, and I do have JP Mint with me. Hello, JP. Hello. Good morning from Mexico. Excellent. And today, JP, I'm excited because we have Marcos Teixeira, and he's coming to us from The Hague, which is one of those top tier schools that I hear about all the time, and I've never talked to anybody that's actually taught there or admin there or even set foot in the school so i'm excited how you doing marcos welcome to the show hi thank you very much for receiving me over here yeah that's great it's good to hear great where are you originally from marcos i'm originally from brazil so i was born in brazil and um, and i hold brazilian and portuguese uh citizenship so how does that happen? How do you because you're not the you're not the first Brazilian I know who has Portuguese. Is it something like a, an understanding between governments? Uh, well, it, I got it. Well, there are several rules in Portugal to get citizenship, but I got it like a, it's been already over 20 years through my grandfather, who was Portuguese. Mm-hmm. And then my grandfather came to Brazil, married a Brazilian, actually also my grandmother's parents were Portuguese and had his sons and, 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 and daughter, and then he lived all his life in Brazil. Then Portugal started like um, this whole thing of getting uh, European citizenship, right? It's been become a certain moment became very, very big. And then um, I started like, hmm, maybe I, sh- I should look into that. And uh, because I already had intentions to leave the country and work overseas. And I thought with a with an European passport would make my life much easier. And indeed, it, it does. So I started looking into that, and and then in those times, the the main reason uh, that allowed me to start the process is because my my granddad never became Brazilian. So all his papers uh, were at the at the Portuguese consulate in my hometown. And then basically, I we just had to do all. Also, my dad's paper were not very accurate, and there were errors and things like that. Because my dad also was born in Portugal, so we had to, yeah. So we had to do a lot of paperwork to get all the papers sorted, and then the wedding, the recognition of the of the weddings of both. Because um, my mom was. Um, and uh, was a uh, my grandfather from my mother's side was German, so so but she was born in Brazil. My dad Portuguese, but born in Portugal. So all that took a long time and a lot of money. It cost me a lot of money. Uh, so then I got my citizenship on my last year at coach. So yes, yeah, so Greg, we Marcos and I know each other from coach school in Istanbul. We met, gosh, probably 2002, my first year. I think you were already there. Yeah, right? 2000, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so we worked together at, at that famous school that I met so many people and so many great teachers. Marcos, yes. ever since we invited JP to be uh, on our show as a co-host, yeah. there's two things that have happened. 
we find out that she knows the whole world because everybody's taught it, coach at some time, and she's our boss. So she sort of took over the whole show, and all of a sudden we're working for JP, right? And I want a raise, that's for sure. That's great. <laughs> hey, Marcos, I have a question for you. Since you say you're uh, from Brazil and Portuguese, you have, you have dual citizenship or multiple passports, I'm going to guess a language here for you, okay? I'm going to guess that you speak five languages. I'm going to guess English, Spanish, Portuguese, and maybe like, uh, I don't know, a German or a French, maybe even a Dutch. Well, probably have a Dutch. Dutch. Forget about the Dutch. No. <laughs> so, Am I close? Really? Am I close? No, uh, well, definitely um, Portuguese and English, for sure. I, I consider myself, I mean, Portuguese is my, my mother tongue, but I consider myself fluent in English. In Spanish, I, there's something in Brazil that we say that we speak you know, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but Brazil is the only Portuguese-speaking country in South, in South America. Correct. So <clears throat> we're surrounded by Spanish speakers. So when we try, when we travel to Argentina or Uruguay, Paraguay, whatever, so <clears throat> we always try to speak Portuñol, which is a combination of Portuguese with Spanish. Because awesome. it's Portuñol. And the, the Spanish in South America has been modified a lot compared to uh, the Spanish from Spain because of the Portuguese influence and the, and the Brazilian Portuguese, not the Portuguese from Portugal. So that's why it's very close. So I would say that I can manage with the Portuñol. <laughs> I do understand Spanish, flu I mean, read and and listening, understanding. The, my problem is just the speaking part with Spanish. I cannot do certain sounds or and also the grammar part. French... It is easy. I have to say French and Italian are very easy for us for several reasons, grammatically, and they're all the romantic, uh, the romantic group of languages, right? And I did study French for a couple of years back at home in Brazil when I was younger, but I cannot, I cannot say, I cannot speak because I used to, but now I, do, I never use, right, French. You know, Jack, Jacqueline probably, she's much better, probably no, she's much better French than she's a French teacher, for God's sake. Then I managed to learn a bit of Turkish when I was in, 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 in back in Istanbul. Um, it's funny enough, every time I go back, I actually manage, it seems that the Turkish comes back to my mind. So I can get by, I cannot have like a proper conversations with Turkish people, but I can survive very well over there. Uh, Once you settle back into it, yeah. Yeah, once you're yeah, a, few, a few days back and you're, oh, it seems like, oh, back 20 years ago, right? And Dutch was, I have to say, Dutch has been the, the most difficult language ever. When I first arrived here 20 years ago, I, was, I took some lessons, some Dutch lessons in the school with a Dutch teacher, like we used to have in a coach, Turkish, English, and so forth. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, I don't find a very attractive language at all. <laughs> and you have to embrace a language in order to learn it. You have to sort of like, I know. right? I understand that. And I try my best, I have to say. But living in The Hague and uh, where everybody speaks English. So every time you try to speak Dutch, they go automatically to English. Mm. The Dutch likes to show off a little bit. 
that they know lots of languages, to be honest with you. I have a feeling we're going to be drafting a couple of letters of apology. Yeah. Well, I have to draft a letter of apology to the Germans, too. They love it when people speak English with them. But I speak I speak German. Hey, I know, Marcos, I know five words in, in Hungarian. Can you believe okay. that? Five whole words. So if I had to go through a lesson or something, I could say, I love you, thank you, you're welcome, goodbye, hello, right? And that first one's for the... <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like you're not, yeah. But you know, living overseas, we don't always learn the the host language because yeah. we teach in English or other mod other languages yeah. based on our school system, right? And right. it's it's one of those great things that you can teach anywhere in the world in our school system of the world. You can teach anywhere because mm -hmm. you're fluent yeah. with English, right? Mm -hmm. Your language is, I have to re restate that, because your English is fluent, right? I love that. <laughs> hey, listen, let's step back for a second, and yep. let's get your elevator version of how you got into, or how you got to where you are now. I'll try to be as, sh as short as possible. Uh, then we go back in Brazil, 19, oh gosh, um, 1989, yeah, is when I, I graduated from university. Uh, I did a bachelor's in computer science, and I was working for an Argentinian um, multinational. So I was a system analyst, and one of the system analysts is in a project for, we were developing a system for an insurance company. That was, uh, so 1989, so I was, a, I started as a, my internship there. So I was. I started working since I was in the second year of college. I was working there for about four years. Then we had a president in Brazil that, uh, from night to day, he removed all the money from everybody's bank account and left 50, 50 bucks in there. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was a horrible, horrible time. My dad had a, his first heart attack because you know. A lot of people were really in a bad situation because suddenly all your savings were gone, right? And yeah, because of the, the problem with inflation, you know, they had all those um, excuses and explanations for the, for the people, right? It was like starting all over again. So my team, we were about 10, 10, 12, I think. Um, so every month someone was actually asked to leave because then the companies couldn't handle, pay the salaries and everything. So... I was, I still, I was actually stayed six more months. So I left the company and then looking, I started looking for a job. I had just graduated from college, from the university. Not so many years of, of experience in the area. And um, so every time I was going through interviews or it was awful because there are tons of men married with kids willing to, to receive a, maybe 50% of what they used to receive in those times. And for the newly graduated people, it's so difficult to get a job. So, and I was like, oh my God, what, are, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Because I wanted to get out of my uh, my parents' home. And anyhow, so in those times, we looked for, for jobs in, uh, in ads in the newspapers, right? We didn't have internet in those times. So I came across a position at the American School of Sao Paulo asking for a an IT teacher. So, well, and I said, so, well, let's give a try, right? So, so I sent my CV and all that. Because at that point, Marcos, sorry to interrupt, but you were a fluent English speaker yeah. at that point still? 
Okay. I started, wow. I started studying. I started in English, taking English lessons at the language schools um, when I was very young, nine, nine, ten years old. My father put me in those language schools since I was very, very young because he he always believed that English was a very important language that would help me in the future, which also helped me in college because everything in technology is English based, but ah, right. per se. No? Um, so I went for an interview. I, and then I ended up getting the job. And that's how I started my career in education. Loved it. Fell in love with education. Uh, teaching high school, imagine, I was 22. And I was teaching seniors of 17, 18 years old. So it was really, <laughs> <laughs> it was really interesting situation. Right? So uh, I used to dress up very nicely, right? Because to give some uh, authority. Like I stayed there 10 years in that school. Uh, so, and I, when I left, I was a director of technology in that school. But since I did a bachelor's in science, I needed to get my teaching certifications, right? The school was American, but they had a Brazilian section. And then all the local hires, per se, the local hires, uh, <clears throat> Brazilian local hires, they needed to get a, uh, a teaching certification. So I managed to get, I went back to the university, did one year of uh, educational credits uh, in the evenings and working full-time. And, um, and that's how I got my, certi- uh, my certification to, to be legally a, a high school teacher in technology. So in those 10 years, I basically saw many foreigners coming and going, coming and going, you know, and I said, wow, what a life. You know, you do what you love to do. You travel the world, you live for free, you eat for free in the school. I, mean, I was like, for God's sake, this is heaven, right? How do I say The best up? kept secret in education, international yeah, so, education. And then I was like, wow, am I going to be able to do this? But I was holding just a Brazilian passport. I, I couldn't. Uh, most of people would say, oh, how, how are you going to prove that you know how to speak and teach in English? I was like, well, for God's sake, I'm teaching. I mean, I have my supervisors and everybody. But anyhow. So I, one year, um, uh, I have a dear friend of mine. She's Canadian also from Winnipeg, Christine. And Christine, uh, she was t- she's a math teacher. And then she went to um, ISS workshop in another international in school in Sao Paulo. And then she came back and said, Marcos, this is your chance. You've been, you know, you're, you're so eager to go overseas and all that. I just heard that for technology because that was... Technology was booming in those times, right? And then they said, they don't care. They need technology teachers. And as long as you can teach and you have the experience and you have English and everything, so I think you should try. So I said, okay. So you, can you help me with that? So I spent a fortune to get all my certifications and uh, uh, university transcripts and everything to English, got my, my quality of uh, Teaching certification and, and course from the U.S. to be a, to be considered to join a job fair. So, and then the guy from Search never liked him. He never accepted me. Um, he said, "No, I don't work with uh, with uh, Brazilian people." So okay, and ISS actually accepted. And I went for my and I went to my first job fair, and it was when I got the job at Coach. Where, where was that? That was in America. Washington, D.C. And uh, so she, uh, Christine was also going. Yeah? So we shared a room. And uh, my principal, my director was there too from Sao Paulo. 
And I got, I got three offers. I got two in Turkey, one from Robert College and one from Coach, and another school in Venezuela. And then I said, oh, Venezuela is too, too close by. So actually it was a great decision. Those times Venezuela was still doing okay. And then I negotiated with uh, John Chandler, my master's program. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'll come to you if you pay my master's. I said, this is not a problem. So it's okay. Wow. Very sign. So that was it. So my life just like this, right? And uh, John Chandler also was my first step into international. Thanks, John Chandler at Carney and Sando, because I met him at uh, the Toronto, no, sorry, the Queen's Job Fair in Canada in 2001, and he changed my life. So, yeah. Can you imagine how many more teachers out there that he, international teachers that he, um, he, he, like, birthed out into the universe so thank you no, Never heard of him. So <laughs> can, no 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 i mean he he was a coach for years and years and then he went to robert college and then he retired but semi-retired because then he went to carney and sando but um marcos can you tell us can you tell us then uh because you negotiated because i think did they both know that robert college and coach were kind of vying for you you negotiated that master's can you tell us a little bit about that master's and what where did you go for that yeah so i my the thing is that i wanted to have a degree from uh either uk or 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 the us so i uh i negotiated masters and then i said to him i don't know where i don't know what but um i would like to do it he said you come to us uh, we have connections with certain universities. There are some teachers already doing some uh, master's programs, and I can help you out. I'll just lay, you know, I'll give you the information, and, and then you can pick whatever you want. And I said to him, and then I said, but <clears throat> I don't have to pay back like a, staying 10 years a coach, right? He said, no. If you decide to leave, you leave. You don't, you don't need to, you know, because you graduate, you have to stay two years here. Anyhow, because my whole issue at the, at the beginning, and I think it was for many, many people of us there, a coach, was living in, on campus. That was really a problem for me. So I knew I, had to put, I would have to put up with that. But, um, <clears throat> but I, my, my first thing was having the experience overseas and also get the master's degree because I thought after having a master's degree, in English, you know, from an, an English or an American university uh, institution, then my life would be made, would be much easier. And it, indeed, it, will, it became much easier. Because then I wouldn't have to prove that I can speak English and all that. So it was it was very funny. Uh, you know, it was my mentality because of my situation. Huh? In the meantime, I was doing all my Portuguese paperwork to get the Portuguese citizenship. And Robert College, I, ne- I tried to negotiate the same thing, but Robert College said, no. Uh, we don't do that. So that was, I love the guy. I forgot his name. I mean, he, he was, both of them were very nice. And uh, I, I needed something that would help me to make the decision. Then that was it. I love that because you negotiated for yourself, yes. you know, with your 10 years of American School of Saint, yeah. Sao Paulo, you negotiated for yourself, you advocated for yourself back in a time when probably not too many people thought about advocating for themselves, right? They just thought, hey, I'm getting a job offer from two great schools and let me just jump at it. Yeah. But I'm so glad you did that. And I'm so glad that you you stayed at coach school. You talked about the um, 
the on-campus housing. So I stayed on campus for eight years. I absolutely loved living on campus, but it's not for everyone. It is a goldfish um, bowl. And Greg, we talked, I heard you guys talking about that on one episode as well with where you are. It's a goldfish bowl and it suits some people and it doesn't suit others. But you did eventually move off campus because I do remember you had a beautiful apartment was it on the Asian side, I think? Yeah, in the Asian side, yeah. It was it was in the Barlard of Genesee. And so how long did you end up staying at Coach? Well, I years? stayed at Coach four years. So Stephanie, myself, our dear friend, uh, uh, Rocky, who passed away already. So we all left on the same year, at the end of the same year. And it was a, it was a funny a funny. A moment because you know um, I said I used to say, well, then we had internet and all that so I started sending uh, then search accepted me after that <laughs> finally they accepted <laughs> finally, you so, and you're like oh yeah. search now okay. I'm somebody <laughs> now I'm someone who uh, I'm overseas so now it's okay right so I uh, so I, I signed up with search um, I forgot his name he's not doing that anymore he used to live in Thailand. And um, so I used to send my CVs to certain schools and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and I never heard from them. And I was like, oh, so the day I was, I was flying the evening to London and then John called me on Friday in his office and then John Chandler. And then he said, so how is everything going and with your search and all that? I said, hey, John, I don't know. I think I'm staying one more year because... I haven't heard anything from schools. I've sent my CV and nothing, nothing, nothing. So much different than the the, the, the job fair four years ago when you hired me. And I said, oh, don't worry. We were instructed not to be responding to emails or, or CVs because they are scared that the... You know, the, the idea of having a, a job fair at a certain hotel and all that will probably, and that's probably what it, and it's, it's happening nowadays, right? even though they still continue doing that. But uh, they, were, they wanted to keep that. So then people, if people would negotiate jobs online, then they wouldn't have to go to London anymore and fly and pay hotel and all that because they have those packages right, you know, that search does and all that. And he said, I'm quite sure when you get there, you're going to get lots of uh, of invitations for, for interviews and all that. Are you saying, so what if I understand it right, when you were getting closer to yes, the, the job fair and you were getting more like you're freaked out, you're like, no one's no one's returning my emails. The job fair is coming up, but it's almost January. The jobs are going away or February. And you get that feeling. And I've been to several job fairs where you have that feeling like I've been reaching out, but no one wants me. And yeah. your your uh, superintendent at the time was yeah. reassuring you, saying, "Don't yeah. worry, some schools wait till they actually meet you yeah. in person," yeah. and yeah. and that turned out to be true, right? Because when you yeah. got to the job fair that year, what when happened? I got to the job fair, I arrived in the evening in the hotel. I had like twelve invitations for interview. See, everything was waiting for you. They were waiting to meet you in person, right? Unbelievable. Yeah, I was like, and then I said, "Well, John, then I always liked John." For me, he was always like an angel. That everything that he said it was actually, uh, and I, I emailed him very quickly at night. I said, "Thank you. You called me down, and you were totally fine. I have twelve interviews tomorrow." And then he replied with, uh, <laughs> "Okay." <laughs> so yes, it was it was great. I had lovely interviews, met lots of different people. It was really really nice. But my goal 
it was to come to Europe. And the main reason why is because of my Portuguese citizenship, because eventually I wanted to end in Portugal. I don't know why, but um, I don't know. I feel very connected to my family in Portugal, to my grandfather. Your roots, yeah. And uh, yeah, so I wanted to have the experience of living in Portugal and all that. But so I wanted to go to come to Europe. So once in Europe, it would have been easier the next step. And uh, yeah, so I interviewed with China, with Kenya, with uh, with Hanoi, with Vietnam. I mean, lovely people, wonderful people. And then I ended up getting. Uh, several offers, actually. I got an offer from um, Ukraine. Thank goodness I, yeah, I ended up not, not, I didn't go there, but um, but the guy was very nice. Because for me, it's not about, lo- well, I had an idea of a location, but, but the main thing was to find someone that I would feel comfortable working with. So that is, for me, that's a major thing. So, of course, you can uh, research about the school, uh, read about the school and things like that. And um, But then the final contact, face-to-face, is very important. So there are a couple of uh, people that I thought, well, I can work for this guy or for this lady. I, I, I can do that. And I got uh, from China uh, a school in, in Beijing. And I don't remember. I think it was Western Academy, if I'm not wrong. Well, I got yep. from, from Vietnam, uh, the United Nations one. Hanoi, yeah. Uh, Hanoi, and I got from uh, I got from Kenya and from the Hague and Amsterdam. I got from Amsterdam and the Hague, and then I was like, well, you know, looking at the position and what they were what they were offering and things like that. So walk us through that process because this is really fascinating, especially right now, Marcos. You know, I'm getting a lot of clients writing me saying okay, I have an offer. I'm not sure how to, you know, sort of weigh the options of two offers. So walk us through, because now you're talking about something like five or six offers. So how do you start to eliminate them? It was funny because since I had so many interviews, I couldn't have everything done in one day. So I had uh, Cairo and China on the next day. My first interview was with Ukraine and the guy offered me the job right away. And I was like, well, I was really surprised with that because usually they don't do that. They ask for another interview, right? But he, I know, I, for me, it gave me the impression that he was a little bit desperate because in technology, you know, it might be more difficult to find than a math teacher, for example, right? And some countries have these rules that you have to have a degree in the in the course that you're going to be teaching, like Turkey is one of them, and uh, Portugal is another one, actually. Uh, so that is a. Pr- I was really for me was a very positive positive thing right so i don't know ukraine i never had a chance to ask he never said it but i said to him i'm sorry i cannot say you're the first one i'm interviewing with and uh, <laughs> i mean i i, I don't want to i i want to be able to interview with every everyone that invited me for an interview before making a decision he said oh no no that's okay that's okay and then he played i well, played or maybe he was right and he said because i have another second a second option but for me you're the first one and i say i appreciate that thank you very much but i cannot say to you until i mean i have interviews until tomorrow so and he said well i'll call you tomorrow morning Okay. So he give you like 24 hours to think about it at least? Yeah. yeah. A little Good. less than yeah. that. Yeah. And then, that's okay. So I went through the other interviews and all that. 
And then I had a second interview in the evening with Hanoi and with uh, Kenya. Lovely lady. Oh, my God, I forgot. I'm getting old. After COVID, my memory is gone. I, I suffer with COVID. <laughs> but she was amazing. I, no, gosh, that woman was great. So I interviewed twice with them. And then five o'clock in the morning, my phone rang in the room. It was him. And I was like, I said, I'm sorry. I, I cannot make a decision. I still have a couple of schools today, I said to him, as I mentioned to you. And then he said, well, then I'll have to propose to the second. I said, well, then... At 5 a.m. he called you? At 5 a.m. he said, Is hey, he did London? you think about it overnight? He was sleeping. <laughs> I almost, at 5 o'clock in the morning. These job fairs are intense, though. And those guys, you know, and you know what? Before you continue, Marcos, it may have come across as desperate, which sometimes it might be. On the other hand, I do know that some of the job fairs, you get into a situation where the school goes there specifically headhunting and you're like number one on their list, right? Mm -hmm. So he might have already, you know, vetted you. He met you in person, had a great idea, said, oh my God, I want you. Let me give you an offer. And it takes you by surprise that if a superintendent goes to that job fair with you or somebody in mind as number one, it's not out of the park to just offer that night right before, even before the job fair starts, they might connect with you and offer. So yeah, you're right. I mean, you might have a feeling of desperation on their part, but on the other hand, it might just be that you are that person that they wanted right off the bat. You're the puzzle piece that fits the puzzle. Wow, no kidding. What an exciting time. So that's 5 a.m. and you still haven't even done like the the third and fourth and fifth schools you haven't even gone with yet, right? (laughs) <laughs> and uh, and another one was Qatar. Qatar was another one that uh, I interviewed, and uh, and she was a lady, and she found me at six thirty in the morning, asking me for. She also uh, offered me the position of first meeting, and then she wanted to know, you know, by six thirty. Wow. The first day of those interviews, uh, for the most part, at the bigger job fairs, I call them the big three, like you and I in search and. Uh, ISS. Queen's uh, University is in there too, but I think... Toronto Search, yeah. And what they do is, your first day is just this half an hour first interview with school after school after school, if you have the opportunity. And they get to know you in the first half hour. It's just like a meet and greet, warm, lukewarm, maybe you're hot, I don't know, it's cold. But then you, you might even have a second interview that night mm-hmm. before you even have a first interview so you're juggling, here's a school that gave you an offer, here's a school you haven't met yet, you haven't even talked to them yet, mm-hmm. and here's Correct. another school that has given you a first interview, and then here's two other schools have given you second interviews, and that's just the first, like, <laughs> evening. First day. It's like, whoa, yeah. <laughs> roller coaster. All right, let's take a moment for a little commercial about how to get in touch with us. You can, of course, find all four of us at the itpexpat.com. That's www.itpexpat.com. Or you could also find us at email at internationalteacherpodcast at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Or if you're into Facebook, we have a new Facebook group. 
at www.facebook.com slash groups slash ITP expat, where you can find all kinds of inside information about ITP expat. You can also find us on Instagram at ITP expats. That's with an S ITP expats is our handle. All right. And thank you listeners. We have over a hundred countries represented by our listeners and though we're not monetized, we are here for you. And we would like to thank yeah, it is a roller coaster. It is really, uh, yeah, <laughs> but you it woke up at 5am and 6am and had, yeah. had phone calls saying, so yeah, did you make offered. a decision? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, yeah. I just woke up with a phone call for God's sake. Yeah. So, <laughs> Let me have some coffee. If you're going to go yeah, recruiting those job fairs, please don't do that. <laughs> Five o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I mean, I could understand if it if he was in Kiev because then, you know, a different time zone perhaps. But my gosh, if he was himself in London, what was he thinking that you were just, you know, hanging out in your room thinking, yeah, maybe I'll go to Ukraine. And he wanted to know. <laughs> Maybe because you don't sleep enough, right? Because you go back to your room and then you have to analyze all the offers, compare everything. It, it, it is so And you're crazy. looking at a map in your room going, I, no, where yeah. is that place again? They just said, I just talked to them. Do you, yeah. I tell you one thing though, I bet anything you keep meticulous notes. I know JP Mint would when she goes to these job fairs. Marcos, mm-hmm. are you the same way? I have a oh, spreadsheet yeah. in front of me. You're a techie. Oh, yeah. You must have a spreadsheet oh, yeah. with as yeah. much as possible. Yeah. First, wow. I create everything. Everything I created before the fair because, uh, you know, you have some, the major, I mean, I think for, this is a good hint for, for Jackie. Um, but <clears throat> in technology, it's usually like a, uh, high school IT or middle school IT or whatever. But you don't know exactly what that middle school or high school IT means, right? Because you don't know what the school actually teaches in that. So in those times, maybe now we share curriculums online and, you know, the curriculum is online and, and you can take a peek on the curriculum and all that. But you never know what the school's intentions are in relationship to technology. Now, when you're French or if you're a math or if you're an English teacher, there's not that much change in, in, in curriculum because, you you know, you know, it's pretty much the same. But in technology, I don't know if Greg feels the same way, but it's just like, okay, one school wants to focus on the, on one side of the technology. The other one is, so I was like, you know, I needed to know more before making a decision because, for example, I was never into robotics. My thing is software development. So I like coding. I like to teach kids how to program, mainly girls. That's my main point. I was like, okay, no, if it's a robotic, if it's a make space type of thing, that's not for me. So, But I, I can only find out this when I'm having a chat with the d- director of the school. Second or and third that, interview, in fact, because then they go deeper. Because that first one, they, it's like a mm-hmm. dating but game, the first half hour. Like a cocktail party, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah. So you need to know the details in order to, right? Because, for example, I don't feel, I never, ever taught elementary or middle school. I always taught high school. And I like high school. That's my my thing. I love to I love the old kids. Um, if your school says, "Oh, you have to do teaching technology from K to 12," not for me. So uh, you know what I mean. So I like to do things that are and mainly now that I'm older. But uh, <laughs> I just want I want to enjoy it, right? So did you wake up that morning at five and six and said hi? Five and these and people know, and then you had some more interviews. 
uh, with some other schools in second interviews and maybe thirds that day? Yes. And I only made a decision at the end of the day, the second day, when I decided for the Hague. And that was because they wanted to start the IB computer science. And that was something that I had experience with and develop the uh, IT curriculum in the high school. So that was that was the perfect fit. So they wanted you. Yeah, the perfect fit's important. So you wanted the... Finding the right (laughs) fit. So you wanted the IB, the International Baccalaureate, uh, diploma level of your field. And that's what set it apart. And that was part of what your your, uh, puzzle was, right? And they came through with it. What a great school. It sounds like, I mean, they're a top tier school and people don't like to say top tier some people are like, well, you know, or tier or one, tier one or, tier or tier two. The, yeah. But I, I think of the Hague as a triple A school, right? Well, did you mm-hmm. make your decision that night then and tell them right away or her? Yes, I did a decision that night. I interviewed with her in the morning and then I had another interview in the late afternoon. She offered me the job, but she said to me, love that woman. She's not there anymore. But she said to me, you're not going to say yes or no, Marcus. You're going to go back to room, she said. And you're going to evaluate everything. And I'm waiting for your call within an hour and a half or two. I don't remember. It was an hour and a half or two. I said, oh, with a yes or no. If it's a yes, I will ask you to come back and sign the contract. If you say no, she said, thank you very much. I really appreciate your time. And you're, you know, lovely woman. And then that's exactly, she was, the, I think she was the last one, if I'm not wrong. It was China. I, don't, I think I had one more. So basically I went back, you know, and then you evaluate people, evaluate salary, benefits, you know, all that, right? Qatar was out already because it was sort of, I mean, Middle East, I didn't want to go. I wasn't ready for China going to, to Southeast Asia. I, I wanted Europe. So I eliminate per area first. I had basically The Hague and Amsterdam and Munich. And I made the decision by comparing packages and possibilities and what my role would that would that be and blah, blah, blah. So that's it. That's why I ended up. I phoned her and said, yes, I'm coming to you. She said, okay, good. So can you come back and sign the contract? I did. She shook hands and said, thank you. And then <laughs> she said, are you going? Because I was also doing the ECIS fair, which was a few days later. So I was, I was staying in London until then. And then she asked me if I was doing the ECIS fair. And I said, yes. Well, not not really. No, I said to her. Not anymore. <laughs> she said, she yeah. said to me, can you please do me a favor then? Send an email to the, the guy. <laughs> that organization. Yeah, saying that you're not going to be part of it because you already signed a contract here as such. And I said, sure. So I went back to my room and I prepared my thank you notes to everybody. And I into every single room, put a thank you note under the door. Did you, can I just interrupt again? The thank you notes, did you specify in that thank you note you're going to Ash or did you just thank them for No, that? I didn't say I was going to Ash. I just said it that uh, thank you very much uh, that I had made a decision for another school. I didn't say Ash. Sometimes okay. it depends on your relationship that you have made with the representative, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and I, what I really applaud you for, and I, I think those of us that go to job fairs know how this works, is that you have to immediately, after you make your decision and after you sign on the deadline, that's when you immediately go back up to your room 
and write out thank you notes. Or I have a method where it depends on my relationship. Like, were they waiting for me to make my decision? The other Mm -hmm. schools. And if I had two or three that I had really talked a lot with and I was trying to say, oh, my God, I don't know if I should go here or there. You know, if they're really contenders, Mm -hmm. then I would go and talk to them in person. And I would immediately say, can I talk to you for a couple minutes? Mm -hmm. If it wasn't, if it was just like a one-off, like I only talked to him like once or maybe for a couple minutes, I would just send him an email or send him a thank you note in person. But uh, these days, man, I would, I would try because, you know, those other people you interview with, you've built a relationship with them. They're waiting to hear what you have to say, especially if they gave you an offer. That's Mm -hmm. the kind of person you want to go in person and say, thank you for the offer remember me next time. I'll keep you in mind because we already went through this. They're going to remember yeah. who you are. Exactly. And, and I think that is so important. I didn't do the face-to-face, but well, I think, me. That was, <laughs> no, I understand. But I think, and I think that is very important because I know some people don't even say thank you. I mean, it's just horrible. Yeah. Believe it or so, not. That's so true. That is so true. Right. So I think, oh my goodness, no, you never know where these people are going to be. Eventually, one of them might end up being my headmaster in, in The Hague. Absolutely. We're a very small community. We, you know, we rotate the world and who, who knows? Yeah, some listeners might be shocked to think that internationally, you know, the world is, as, as Greg sometimes says, it's the smallest district in the world is the world. We all talk, we all know each other. And so if you burn a bridge by letting as you say, a headmaster or a head of school dangle on the end of a line and you don't tell them that you've taken an offer somewhere else and they're just left wondering, that's burning a bridge for maybe your future headmaster who comes in or if you end up leaving and you want to interview somewhere else. So yeah, you definitely always want to leave things very smooth, very professional and, and courteous, right? Well, I have a couple things to mention. Can I, let's see, I'm going to backpack a little bit here on what you've already said. It's very important to send at least a thank you note because not only would you offend that person by not saying thank you and I have accepted an offer, please take me off your list. They're they're waiting around for you if they gave you an offer, which is a verbal, which is usually 24 hours. And if you don't, my main point is you don't just piss off or burn a bridge with that person, but all the recruiters are a bunch of chatty hens. They work together as a team and they talk to each other constantly and all the different job fairs they go to, they'll say, hey, remember that Marcos guy? He never even said thank you, didn't even let me know. I had to chase him down. Next thing I know, he's in the bar celebrating. I'm like, oh, my God. So, yeah, this is something to really think about when you go to these job fairs, especially in person, right? The other thing I was going to share with you is I have a little different style than you did, Marcos. I've been to six, seven fairs now. So seven job fairs and, excuse me, six job fairs. And the first five, I had a golden rule. And I always said, if I got the offer, it was always, can I sleep on it? I always wanted to, to really make sure that I could sleep on it without any pressure. Sometimes I would let them know before I slept on it, but I have no pressure really to think about it on my time. I would sleep over the idea of which school I wanted to accept if I had options. And even Mm -hmm. if I didn't have options, I still took that 24 hours, that overnight at least, can I tell you tomorrow morning? And in every single instance, they've always agreed to wait for my 
or I, my my idea of of waiting and thinking about it, and they actually would think that's respectable. I mean, they they know that I'm not just rushing into a decision because if I rush into a decision as a candidate, I might just end up at a place that just doesn't even fit with me. I, I mean, I can't even believe I'm there. Or you might be doing a runner or a runner in the first the year too. So for me, I really appreciate the fact that you are one of the people that goes to these job fairs and you are transparent about things. You keep in touch with the um, multiple recruiters, let them know where you are in your decision making. Yes, I'm looking at this school. I'm looking at another school. And the more open you are, sometimes you might get, I think, you know, in all fairness, you might get some kind of negative reaction from somebody if you mention another school, especially if they're competing for you. But in most in most cases, I've been very lucky to be transparent with somebody because they know each other. In fact, I I had when I sat down with one guy at one year, some point in my life, I sat down and said, I can't accept I have taken another position. And he goes, oh, did you just go talk to so-and-so across the hall? And I'm like, how did you know? He's yeah. like, well, we were talking about you before. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah it's a, they're a bunch yeah. of chatty hens. Yeah, right? that happened in the first fair between John Chandler and the guy from Robert College. They both knew, they were both after me because I had all the prerequisites for them. And when I accepted the, the coach uh, position, I actually did exactly, I went to talk to the guy at Robert College and I was bumping to him or something. And I told him what I chose. And then he asked me, what was the, the reason? And I said, well, it was my master's. And I said, oh, I knew it. I was going to lose you because of that. Because you were so sure about this. You wanted so much of that. And unfortunately, I couldn't promise you that. So well, he respected that. He yeah, respected so that answer. And yeah. these guys, these guys and these women that are there recruiting us, they know there's a big game that they're putting a big puzzle together. Yeah. And it's, it's great to hear it from your point of view. This episode is a great episode if you're listening about how to work around a job fair. It's not, you know, we don't go too deep and into it. But. how to deal, yeah, how to deal with multiple offers. So I'm, I'm really glad, Marcos, that you, you kind of talked about your steps. You know, you said you, you first sort of eliminated geographically what wouldn't work mm-hmm. for you. Then you started considering, well, what is the job itself? And you've made a really good point about doing a deep dive on each of the job offers to know what's the curriculum? What is the job going to entail day to day? And did at any point, did you speak to other teachers from those schools? Did you did you have that opportunity? Well, after I signed up, uh, signed with, uh, with uh, The Hague, I... We had those weird holidays in Turkey, so I, <laughs> so I came, I, 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 I came over here. Yeah, just to clarify, it was like two weeks in January, <laughs> so you're just like, okay, end of January is when I'm celebrating Christmas because we would get Christmas Day off, December 25th, and that was it. So the end of January, I remember celebrating Christmas a few times in Canada in, you know, the end yeah. of January. So then I came to The Hague and I uh, actually came to visit the school and then I and I met oh, wow. the person that I worked all these years. Uh, and, and it was really, it was very nice. And I just did now in Portugal. And I went to visit the school and I talked to the, you know, face to face. Foreshadowing, foreshadowing. Marcos has is leaving the Hague, but we're going to get into that in just a sec. So you managed to to visit the school you were about to move to in sometime like January, right. February, but you were moving right. in July. 
oh, that's really lucky. That was, that was very nice. It was something that I, you know, I said, let me do it. Yeah. But you know, the most important thing, I mean, that is for me, maybe it's not uh, so interesting for the listeners, but because I was under Brazilian passport, uh, in my mentality, I thought that being a, being a holder of Brazilian passport wouldn't help me that much. Right? And that's why I wanted so much of the European passport. But I got all these interviews, all this with only the Brazilian passport, because the Portuguese passport only came after my job in The Hague. So I got the job in January, and my passport came only on my birth date, which is uh, April 9th. So actually, I, I couldn't say that I, ha I was Portuguese citizen yet. So I just said I was a Brazilian. So that is the beauty for if listeners are not, are not um, from originally from a, an English-speaking country, that it is possible to nowadays to go overseas. Kudos to you. That is a great point it. for our listeners that are not from the U.S. Mm -hmm. or from Canada or some English-speaking country, uh, main language-speaking country, right? <laughs> Well, Greg, and I'm sure you've heard that Europe is difficult to get into if you don't have a European citizenship. But this is that might be the situation maybe now. But at that time, Marcos, you you were able to to um, get hired as a Brazilian yep. citizen, and they were w willing to sponsor your visa. Is that right? Until such time, they learned you had Portuguese yeah. citizenship. So after I got my Portuguese, I contacted the HR department and said, "Listen, you don't need to worry about." Uh, visas or, per, or work permits and all that because I'm in European. Now. And they were, really? Oh my God, our life is going to be so much easier now. <laughs> <laughs> they took you out for dinner once you arrived. They were like, thank I'm you so much. You saved the, us so much work. With the HR, the head of HR, because yeah. uh, we go out together and, and, and all that. <laughs> well, you know, the, the European schools are not all going to be difficult to get into based on being a non-EC, excuse me, a non-EU. It depends on the school, but you're right, JP, there's the, the European schools are harder to get into now based on your passport. And a lot of them are asking for a EU passport to start. Correct. But uh, yeah, we can't do anything about that, can we? We can only try and hopefully they will reach out to us when we're ready and we go to one of these job fairs and say, hey, I'm ready <laughs> and let them work it out, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Can we talk about Ash? I mean, because as Greg mentioned, he's he's never spoken to somebody from that school. I myself applied. Um, I think you may remember, Marcos, I reached out to you at one point and I said, oh my gosh, there's a French position at Ash. And I have to credit, um, so Dr. Spalding. Spradling, uh, yeah, Spradling. Spread. Yeah. So I have to credit uh, Dr. Rick, I'll just call him, that thanks to him, I posted a YouTube video that, by the way, has 6,000 views after 20 years. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> we could call it viral. You but anyhow, I... <laughs> I posted a YouTube video of me in the classroom and because it was a French classroom, I had to subtitle it and it was such an old, old, I mean, it was a digital camera that was being held by my colleague and, uh, to, you know, Kubilai was, was Kubilai, holding this yes. thing. <laughs> yeah. So I made this video, I posted it on my channel on YouTube and I sent it to Dr. Rick and said, you know, I would really love an opportunity to interview with you, to talk to you about, my teaching, my style in, in French. 
And I, I have to credit Dr. Rick that I got my next job thanks to that video because what happened was Dr. Rick said, well, in fact, we're going to be hiring uh, someone who's already part-time and moving them into a full-time position. So we're not actually looking outside the organization. But because that was a requirement, he wanted to see me teaching. I posted that on YouTube and then Tazem in Oman saw that video and reached out to me. So I was kind of headhunted for that position thanks to that video. So I've always wanted to go to Ash. It was definitely on my my wish list. And so can you walk us through what was that or what is that like? Because you're still there. <laughs> I is, you know, it's been 20 years already. So I don't what would you like to know? <laughs> well, first of all, is it a revolving door? Because you were there 20 years. Do you have fellow colleagues that have stayed that long? Oh, yeah. I mean, we've... Uh, um, as you said, Europe. When you get a job in Europe, people just stay until you retire, right? And um, and Ash is a great place. I mean, it's a great school. Uh, <clears throat> uh, we have people and the colleague that worked that worked with me in the high school IT. I mean, she worked there for forty years, so it was her first job, and stayed there for forty years, and she retired back to the U.S. Uh, and you will find many people like this. What I, uh, what I like about the school is that the school is very open for diversity. So we have, um, you know, it's okay for kids to be who they want to be. And I applaud Ash for that. And they respect, um, of course, that you, and we work hard within the student body, right? Because you always have the boys that don't like to see a, a boy transitioning to be a girl. And, and they dress up the way they want it. They, they in our uh, enrollment, you know, when you, in power schools, we say power school, but you have the name of the student, you know, but you have always, always the name, the name that they want to be called between brackets. So I think the, the respect for the human being and for the students to be what they want to be, who they want to be, is amazing. I think that, also, I personally, this is my opinion, has nothing to do with Ash. I think that we offer too much. There are too many options for students. I think the students get lost with so many options. They don't, because we, in, um, I'm going to be able to speak more about high school than the other divisions, right? Um, but in high school, we offer the IB program. We offer the AP program. We offer uh, the electives and the, the general America diploma. So I think there's, too many. For example, in my case, I do IB computer science, I do AP computer science, A, another colleague now does AP computer science principal. So we try to do a lot. We work hard. I think we do work a lot at Asha, even more than what I used to work at Coach, to be honest. But we push the kids, we push the kids, we push the kids, and they, they respond well. So uh, it is, it's, it's, it's great. And now that I've been there for such a long time, you know, I get these emails and visits of former students who are opening startups and want to know, they want to interview me, they want to know my opinion. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about a master's program. What should I do? Should I do it? focus on AI or should it go software development? It is so much cool to get that recognition. First, this is what pays off our, our jobs. Right? It's the, the best thing ever is to have that from the students. You're lucky to be in high school because I work in elementary 
And having that kind of uh, feedback when they're in college is very rare. So if every five years or so, if I get an email from a student, I'm very lucky. But (laughs) it keeps me going, though. It made a day. It makes a day, right, when you get that. Oh, my gosh. It makes my five years. It makes my Five years, Mm -hmm. right? So, um, yeah, so it's a, it's a great school. There are lots of activities. All the clubs are, are students lot. I mean, they lead this, the, the, the clubs. Arts is great. We do musicals. We have music. Uh, I mean, I think the school is amazing in terms of what we offer. And we also, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but Ash was the one that started with Modern United Nations in The Hague. You're kidding. Yeah, they started there. So all the other schools that have wow. a model United Nations, yeah. an MUN, it all Thanks goes to back Ash. to you and to the to Ash. I'm yeah. not used to calling the American School the Hague <laughs> as Ash, but yeah. it's like, hey, I know Ash. Oh, well. <laughs> that, that's what we call. That's what we never say. American School the Hague. Yeah. It's always Ash. So we just yeah. Uh, those of us in the know. Well, right, some schools feel very Ash. lucky if they're invited to actually go to the MUN if it's hosted at Ash. Right. Yeah. I've I've heard that yeah. several years of different schools I've been to and taught at where the schools have gone and been invited to go see the uh, to be a part of the MUN, MUN there. That's like the highlight. Yeah, it is. It's a big thing. It's, it's not in the in the school. It's in a, in a convention center in The Hague. And usually it, the, the whole Mother United Nations is opened by the king of the Netherlands or the queen of the Netherlands. It's a big thing. It's really a big thing. And I, and I admire that. It was a history teacher many, many years ago. Don't ask me when exactly, but he had this fantastic idea and that they um, brought to the government, to the Dutch government, and they said, yeah, we'll do it. And they've been doing this for years already, for a long time. And uh, it's beautiful. It's really, really nice. On the other hand, we, we lose almost 50% of the students for a whole week. <laughs> Well, listeners, if you want to know more about MUN, all you got to do is reach out to Marcos <laughs> and he'll tell you all about it. He's been there 10 years. So that is the, you know, everything you have the pro and the cause, right? So you always have to plan your classes very light. <laughs> so we just finished the Mario in uh, uh, Friday. So that, so the students are going to be. Oh, that's on your mind. But Marcos, can you now tell us, so, okay, we're ready for this next step of where you're off to, but how did you, how did you find this position? Oh, you mean in Portugal? Um, yeah, well. Yeah. You're going to Portugal now? Finally? Yeah. Portugal, yeah. Oh, it's like exactly. the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a, the, the happy oh, ever after. I want to hear him. Tell story. us how this happened. I always wanted to go to Portugal, as, as I said before. So I, I, I need I need the sun. I need warm weather. I, I can put up with the cold and everything. But I've been in the cold weather for about twenty five years almost, right? Turkey and here. And then the main reason of going and work there is because I have a possibility to transfer my pension from Brazil to Portugal. So then I can receive my pension from Brazil in Portugal because Brazil and Portugal are broader countries and there are some rules that they that, that they they agreed upon. So, but in order for me to do that, I have to work at least five years in Portugal. So in August, when I was back to Ash, I talked to my, my supervisors. I explained the situation. I also asked for recommendation letters, right? And um, 
And then all of them said, oh, that's, you know, you, you might not leave so soon. I mean, it's very difficult. But my, my thing is that I needed five years there. Plus, I'm 50. I'll be 57 in two months. And uh, the age is coming. And, you know, schools usually have some rules about aging, about age. So I... Uh, a, a former IB coordinator in our school at Ash, he, he said, Marcus, you have to make the move as soon as possible, otherwise you will never move if you really want to go, right? And I said, oh, that would be so much better if I could receive the money in Portugal because I want to retire in Portugal. And, I, you know, that was the decision already. So then I started looking online. Um, so going first I did a, a, a research on the schools because I didn't know very much about them. So I did a research, I found all the schools in the region, and then I started looking. And then every Sunday, this time of the day, I would be, you know, going through the, the website. And then I figure out that the schools in Portugal, they use a platform called TESS in the UK. Oh, yes, the English, the English yeah. supplement. That's what it used to be called, yeah. but now it's yeah, just Yeah, it's just called TESS. So I went there and it's fr- it was free, so I did all my CV, I fill out all the forms and uploaded everything that I needed. And then I found uh, an Entasis Portugal, you know, the Tassis uh, schools from in Switzerland. The American School, what, how does, what does it stand for? It's Tassis? American International School, right? And, the American uh, School in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. Yes, correct. Yeah. Yes, started, I used to work yeah. at the one in Switzerland. So uh, yeah. I know, I know. It is confusing because yeah. you have to say Tassis Portugal. I know, right, because they have three is, satellite schools. Yeah. It's the same uh, same organization. It's a foundation. Oh. So they start in Switzerland, then they open the one in England, in London, and then they open one in Puerto Rico, and Portugal is the fourth one. They only have those four. Oh. And then there was a, um, an, an advertisement on the website saying that due to the expansion of, of IB, um, uh, the 11th grade, because they are brand new school, um, we are hiring all subjects, I mean, so I just submitted my CV with the recommendation letters. I did for King's College also. So yeah, and in within a week, I got an op- I got offers from both schools actually <laughs> for the same position, head of computer science. Um, so I'm going to be leading uh, K through twelve computer science, but I'll be teaching IB computer science only thing. Or I might have until they have the full. Two years, I might have to do GCSE as well uh, for ninth and tenth, and uh, yeah. So another perfect situation, perfect fit. You said it was going to take this year, you know, a, a long time. You got a job in a week, and I told you, Jackie, <laughs> that you approached me and said, "Oh, well, it went so yeah. fast." And then I, I know, I couldn't believe it. You put it out there in the universe. You were like, I would love to go to Tassis. And then a week later, you were writing me going, so I got Tassis. Oh like, what? And all my supervisors like, you know, you, you, you're very lucky because this is so difficult. So, yes. So then I, I'm leaving. The, the stars I know, yeah. all my In my life has always been like this. So Congratulations. <laughs> Thank, goodness. Thank goodness. So that's it. Work a few more years. Uh, tasses and then whenever I retire from Brazil, which is in about three, four years, and then I'll stop. You know what? I'm so ready to go and be, we're close to the beach. And uh, I just. Uh, You're ready for that. Yeah, sun. I need to reconnect also to, with my language and, and, and well, it sounds else. like you've come full circle. I mean, we haven't, you haven't even started that final leg, 
the the last few years that sunset type of of thing but you did get into a school before you reached 60 which is what we have yep. to do, all do exactly. and i'll be looking at that soon too right i have at least <laughs> one more jump after this yeah. where am i going to end up before i'm oh, 60 oh you don't right? have to though greg i just want our listeners to know that you can still get into a new school after 60 don't, yeah. don't yes, worry yes you about can that. but your just, your goal posts change yeah. a little bit and your options do mm-hmm. become smaller mm-hmm. It's sort of like when you first start out, you your goalposts are you know very close together, and then all of a sudden you have lots of opportunities as you get more and more experience, you know more people, and then all of a sudden it just the goalposts come back together again once you get closer to the age sixty, and that's not even just because of the schools; it's usually the government and the work visas that that start to be a yeah, little more really. stringent, right, Marcos? That, that you're right, you're right. But it's also, a, like you said, it positions as well. Because in my case, if I if I wouldn't go now, which is a perfect fit for IB, starting IB, and I have a baggage of so many years teaching IB and doing evaluations and, you know, a school, a school accreditation for IB for so many, and the IB office is right here in The Hague, and I just met the guy who is responsible for the computer science program <laughs> in, in one of these get-togethers that we, we have here within the community. So, um, yeah, it's just like it was, it, it, had, it had to be at that moment. Otherwise, someone else would get the job, and then I would have to wait, like you said, Greg, a few years, and maybe that would be too late for me. So I needed to take that opportunity at the moment. So, uh, yeah, so my colleagues at Ash said, but my goodness, do you know it's it's a brand new, you know, they're, 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 it's a school that is only four years old or five years. I said, to be honest, guys, I'm... <laughs> I want to enjoy this job. I, I it's not. I don't have more any like I want to be this or that anymore. I'm going down road. So I just want. To, I want to. I want to enjoy more life now. After well, the COVID. other point is, you know, with a startup, not a startup school. I mean, this the school, the Tassis school that's going up there, that's already in place, that's growing. Yeah, correct. It's not their first gig. It's their. Yeah. It's their third satellite school. And I just, I used to work at the main school in Switzerland, but no matter what school it is, if it's a startup, that might be something that's, that's interesting to you. Someone else might be interested because you really do get to form that school as you're, if, if it's going from K through like nine, and then they add high school to it, you're going to be on the, the foundational time you're going to be in the foundation of setting up the school to succeed later on. So that's a great opportunity. It sounds like, I don't know much about the options that you have, but wow. And that's, and that's what you're saying. And that is what really attracted me to the job as well, to be able to form that. And that, and that would be my contribution. All these, uh, all this time and in, in involved in the IB teaching computer science and all that. And, uh, yeah, it's just some uh, weekends on the beach. <laughs> and I also enjoy my drinks, my alcohol spritz on the yeah. beach. It will be that would be nice. <laughs> wow, Marcos, this has been absolutely fascinating. I think our listeners are are going to enjoy hearing your travel journey. You know, your journey through international teaching, and despite the tiny number of international schools, I mean, we're talking. American Sao Paulo, Coach, Ash, and now Tassas. So four schools in the span of almost 30, 35 year career. But it's been so great to hear all the 
the ups and downs sitting on the edge of my seat. What did he go with? And Greg, we're, we've got two questions. Do you want to ask you choose You choose one, one and I'll questions? ask the other. <laughs> okay. So Marcos, it, we have a history. We have a tradition in this podcast. We always ask, do you have a police story for us mm-hmm. in all those times overseas? I have a police story in Turkey. Oh, good. Okay. I had a, I don't know if, if Jack remembers, you know, my car, but my car was a huge car. So I was like trying to beat up the traffic on the bridge. I was driving on that Ebesh. Uh, I think it was 120, 130 kilometers per hour because I was like, oh my God, I'm late. I don't want to get so much traffic on that because otherwise you're stuck for hours, right? So then... Suddenly, a police stops me. And I, my Turkish was pretty good at that. Uh, it was already the third year, fourth year. So I could understand very well Turkish. And then he came with that Turkish way. And I just pretended, uh, sorry, I don't speak Turkish. But, and then, and I could understand everything that he was saying. But, you know, he would repeat it. Yeah. Say, you were uh, over 100 bro. You have, I have to give a fine. And he wanted to step up. Asked me to step out of the car and blah, blah, blah. And I said, sorry, I don't speak Turkish. I don't understand you. Then he calls a colleague. And then he said, oh, this bloody bastard. He doesn't speak Turkish. I don't know what to do and how to make him get out of the car. I need to check the car for drugs. And <laughs> he won't get out of the and car. I was like, don't speak Turkish. But I wanted to laugh so hard. But I was like, then the guy said, yeah. forget it. Let him go. We will never be able to communicate with this man. And then he, then he started going, like, very Turkish. Right? Like, <laughs> I said, Okay, thank you. And then I, then I laughed so hard. All the, oh, I was like, wow. oh my God, I could be. I call that the stupid gringo. I, <laughs> I, you know, no habla espanol. <laughs> but it was so helpful because I thought I was really in trouble that day. Turkish and then the prison. next weekends, I was like, okay, Marcus, remember, you you know, go, go, don't go so, so fast in the highway. That's a wonderful story, and it really worked to play the stupid gringo. I love that. No, I can't speak. We'll never get the guy out of the car. (laughs) He doesn't speak a word of Turkish. (laughs) And I was like, everything was like, okay, okay. (laughs) So here's your next question then, and we always do this question. As you're traveling around, as you move from country to country, what are three things that you need to take with you or you just – need to have when you move to a new country that is funny well i have because you're about to do it you're about to move to a a new country yeah well first i need to be connected i think nowadays it's a little bit different than before but you have to be connected so as an it person i need to have my computer with me or my iphone or, or whatever you know i need to be connected to the internet somehow uh, I don't feel like so pressure about the language per se because I do understand everything. I feel very comfortable there. Um, so that wouldn't be, but if it wasn't a country that I wouldn't know anything about it, definitely a dictionary or something that uh, that would help me at the beginning um, to get by, let's put that way. So those things would be, yeah, that would be really, really important. Um yeah, I mean, yeah, I think that's what I can think of. But that, that, that's basically would be for survival. That's fantastic. No, that's very truthful. And it's it's very simple to take care of those two. You know those things that you need to have 
to go to the next country. I love it. That's that's all we ask. It's great to share that. Uh, if you've listened to our other episodes, you know that she has to have her rugs. JP has to have her rugs with her. I know. And, yeah, I have yeah. mine too. <laughs> yeah. You have um, Turkish carpets? I, I think everyone, every, you cannot leave Turkey. I don't need carpets. Carpet or two I need ice made and a form of transportation. So yeah, as long as I can have ice <laughs> for my drinks and a maid to clean up because okay. I hate ironing, you know. So it's oh, sort yeah. of funny, but it's true. And I, of course, I'm an IT guy like you are, and I have to have my communications, but yeah. uh, they come in a little bit beyond behind those three. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. Greg, we were really lucky to have Marcos on the show today because I think our listeners are going to learn so much from his experience. They're going to enjoy his stories. And uh, and Marcos, hopefully, as, as I promised to you when I was reaching out to you, I think you enjoyed this walk down memory lane all, as well. How about last words of wisdom? You always have to believe that you're going to achieve whatever you're thinking of. You know, for me, it was... Uh, Probably a more uh, complicated step, you know, step procedure to get into international teaching. It was actually by luck, started by luck, yeah, in the, because of a situation I was in back home that I found this wonderful world of international teaching. And uh, but mainly for those who don't have or they are not from an English speaking country, don't have a passport from an English speaking country believe that you can do uh, nowadays the world is so much different and uh, just trust yourself and go for it you know just believe and you will be success will be you will be happy definitely wow that's really well said jp any last that's thoughts awesome. jp i want to thank marcos Teixeira for coming to itp today and from greg the single guy and jp mint here in mexico Thank you so much for listening and see you next time. And if you're ever on the highway in Turkey, just say, I don't speak English. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the biggest lesson everybody can learn is if you speak the, the local language, play dumb, play dumb. I did the same thing, Marcos. Play dumb, play dumb. <laughs>